Man, I really appreciate that, Doug, and, and Westside for your support. Um, change is hard. You guys know that. I mean, just any kind of change, but, uh, but especially when you kind of mess with something like a church service. And uh, so we definitely covet your prayers. And I'm excited to, to be here with you guys this morning. And, and I just want to I want to share this because I don't know how many more opportunities when we make the transition to Sunday morning um, that I'm going to have to be here on kind of a a semi-consistent basis. But when I think about the future of Sherwood Oaks, when I think about where we want to be as a campus down in Bedford and where we want to be kind of Sherwood Oaks globally across all of our campus, no matter where we are now and possibly in the future, I think a lot of, of who we desire to be and who I think that the Lord desires us to be as a church a lot of that has been led by you guys here at the West Campus. Uh, you have set the pace in a lot of ways for the rest of the church. And so I am incredibly grateful for you, for your impact here on the west side of this community, and how you guys see yourselves not just as a place that gathers, but a place that gathers to scatter, to go out and to make a difference in this community. So um, thank you for the example that you've set. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray uh, because we are going to be dealing with some deep stuff this morning. Let's pray. Uh, God, I am uh, so grateful for your love and your grace. Father, I'm thankful for your word that spurs us on, that shows us uh, the victory that is ours in Christ. Uh, Lord, you you know the, the difficulty of what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, so God, I just ask that you would give me grace uh, to be able to speak and that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you want to teach us this morning. Um, Lord, we love you, and our heart's desire is to find rest in Jesus, to find that he is our true and ultimate satisfaction, and we pray this in his name, amen. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and kind of hold it there. If you have a Bible app that you like to use on your device, you can turn there as well. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, the, the book of 1 Peter is a fantastic little book. If you're looking for something to study, uh, I highly encourage you to, to dig into this. It's, it's, a, it's a book that encourages believers to, to press on to stand firm, to not give up. It's, it's a book that teaches us how to live in a world uh, that may not necessarily believe what we believe or live how we live. You know, we think that we kind of live in an anomaly in that today, but really the truth is, is that Christianity has always kind of been weird to the culture. Um, it's always been an outlier. It's always been different. Uh, I, my girls and I and, and my wife, we were traveling home from visiting some family uh, a couple of days ago, and as, as we were going, we were listening to an album, a, a children's Christian album, and, and in this album, it starts like the, the people share a story, and then they follow it up with a song that's about that story, and I got to be honest, I was listening to that going, wow, we believe some really weird things, <laughs> Like, not the least of which is that a dead man is now back alive. Like that, and that's the pinnacle of what we believe, that Jesus was dead, but now is back to life. Like, everything that we believe hinges on that one thing. And so it's no wonder that our culture looks at some of the things that we believe and some of the ways that we live, and they go, that's kind of weird. Because even as believers, we look at it and say, yeah, it is. 
But we believe this, and, and sometimes because of our beliefs, it's pushing us up against the cultural norm. A lot of times we are a fish swimming upstream. And so the book of First Peter is about encouraging believers then and now to press on, to fight the good fight, to stand firm in the faith. And Peter tells us that, that there are going to be times when we take heat for being Christians. And really, he's just affirming what Jesus told us. Jesus told us that you will face persecution for following me, big ways and in small. It's going to happen. And so 1 Peter is about telling us how to stand firm in our faith. And if we're going to stand firm in our faith, then Peter knows and we know that there are some significant spiritual realities that we need to be aware of. And so that's why we've been doing this series over the last few weeks called Behind the Scene. We've been taking a look at some things that oftentimes we just ignore in the church um, or, or we don't really pay a lot of attention to, uh, things that are happening just behind what is seen, these, these spiritual realities that are happening, this, this spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. And, and so that's why we've been doing this series. And the, and the truth is that there's more going on in this world than what our eyes can see. There, there is a spiritual realm in this world that if we are not in tune with it, then it's going to be hard for us to persevere. It's going to be hard for us to stand firm because we have to know who our enemy is and we have to know how our enemy is going to try to knock us off course, who's going to try to knock us off of our feet. And so Peter is addressing these early Christians and he's addressing us and he reminds us who our real enemy is. And we took a closer look at Satan last week. We talked about you know, who he is, where he came from, what his desire is. If you missed that sermon, I encourage you, go back online and listen to it, socc.org. John Robertson uh, did a fantastic job laying all of that out. And he, talked to, he read a passage last week that we're going to spend a little bit more time diving into this week, as we study the schemes of this fierce adversary and, and, and ways that we can stand up against him in the spiritual battle happening all around us. So if you have your Bible open, look at this with me, First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8. You can also follow along up on the screen. This is what Peter writes. <clears throat> to this church that is, that is undergoing persecution, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Other translations say, be watchful. Peter tells us to be watchful, to be aware, because our enemy is lurking around looking for someone to devour. Peter tells us that there is a very real and, and present enemy and predator in our world, and it's the devil. Which sounds so superstitious, doesn't it? <laughs> like some of us hear that and we're like, really? Some of us hear that and we're like, eh, this is a little strange to be talking about. Some people read a passage like this and they say, Peter, we are in the 21st century now. We've kind of learned some things about how the universe works. Surely we are beyond this stuff. But Peter reminds us that no, we're not. And in fact, to the original audience that would have received this letter, this idea would have been just as, as curious uh, to them as it is to us. It would have been just as hard for them to believe as it is for some of, of us. But Peter puts this warning out there anyway because he knows that there is a very real enemy that we are up against. 
And his desire in our life is to steal and kill and destroy the relationship with God that is ours through the grace of Jesus Christ. He wants to kill and steal and destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with others. That is our enemy's goal in our life. And some of us, we know very well what that separation feels like. We know very well what it means for the enemy to want to kill and steal and destroy and separate us from true life that's only found in Christ, from from true relationships that God desires for us. And that word enemy that that Peter uses here in verse 8, it's also described uh, or translated as adversary, which which in the Bible is, is used to describe Satan. He is our adversary. And the Greek word used for adversary here means one who is actively and continuously hostile towards someone. Actively and continuously hostile towards someone. Like, this is not your frenemy. (laughs) This is not someone who is a friend one moment and then kind of, you know, speaks against you another moment. No, Satan is always continuously and actively speaking against you, speaking against you to yourself, speaking against you to God, speaking against you to others. He is your fierce adversary. This word is a legal word. It's used to describe an an opponent in a court of law. And so an adversary is an accuser. And that's what Satan does in your life day and night. He wants to accuse you. He wants to put you away. Your adversary wants you to be condemned. See, Satan doesn't want us to experience the richness and the fullness of life in God He wants to cut us off from God. He wants to drive a wedge between you and your relationship with God. That is what he has always done, and it's what he will always continue to do. And so he'll try to get you to distrust God any way he possibly can. He will try to get you to discredit God's word and its effectiveness and its power in your life. He'll try to make other things in life look look more pleasing and look better than life with God. He's willing to do whatever it takes to drive a wedge between you and God. And that's what we refer to as spiritual warfare. It is is Satan doing everything in his power, which is limited. But nonetheless, it's him doing everything in his power that he has to drive a wedge between you and God. And so here's Peter urging us about the reality of the devil, to be alert uh, for our enemy, to be watchful. And, And I wonder, I wonder if as he is writing these words, Peter's mind is drifting back to the night before the crucifixion. I wonder if his mind drifts back to to the upper room in the Last Supper and Jesus tells him, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. He wants to try to shake your faith and and get you to turn away from me. And if you're familiar with the story, maybe you remember uh, Peter, how does he respond to that? He says, never, Lord. That will never happen to me. I am willing to die for you. I am with you to the very end, no matter what happens. And yet just a few hours later, Jesus has been arrested. Three different people come up and say, Hey, Peter, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter said, Oh, no, no, that's not me. That's not me. And he denies even knowing Jesus each time. And there's the wedge. 
Satan turns the heat up just a little bit, and all of a sudden it's not real popular to be associated with Jesus like it was just a couple of days ago. You know, the palm branches are now rotting on the ground. <laughs> the, the meals have all washed up. The miracles are done. The crowds have left. And now all of a sudden, it's not real popular to be associated with Jesus. And so Peter fearfully says, no, I don't even know. I don't even know him. And there's the wedge. And so years later, when Peter writes these words, he's speaking from firsthand knowledge about how our adversary works. He's writing to us based on his own real-life experiences. He knows that the devil is real. He knows that the devil wants to devour us. He knows that the devil wants to make us ineffective for God's kingdom. He wants to distract us with things that really don't matter. He knows this. We know this. And so the question is, how does the devil do this? How does he try to drive a wedge between us and God today? I think in our culture, he does it in very subtle ways. He's always been crafty, even from the beginning, and that's still true today. The truth is, the devil doesn't come to us with red horns and a pitchfork. That would be too easy to spot. He's very subtle. He is on the prowl. He works in ways that we don't overtly see. He works through systems in this world in ways that we don't even notice him. Look at verse 13 with me, 1 Peter 5.13. And Peter says something very interesting in, in this verse that I want us to explore a little bit deeper because I think it gives us insight into how the devil has worked and continues to work today. Peter writes, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. She who is in Babylon. When he says she, he's referring to the church. And, and Peter is writing from the city of Rome, but he calls it Babylon, which is a little interesting because Babylon didn't even exist anymore. Babylon was actually had been in ruins for, for centuries. And so why does Peter refer to Rome as Babylon? The church in Rome says she who is in Babylon. I think it's because in the Old Testament, Babylon represents the kingdom or the society or the people group that was opposed to God. Babylon is the adversary of God and his kingdom. And underneath the city of Babylon, there were dark spiritual forces at work all throughout their systems and their institutions. And so the way that Satan opposes God and his work in this world is actually through the systems and the institutions that are already at place in this world. Paul affirms this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you see, when the devil wants to drive a wedge between you and God, he can just work through the systems and the institutions that are already at place in this world. Like, he doesn't have to send a horde of demons after you. He can just get you to drive anywhere on the west side of Bloomington. <laughs> and that can do the trick, right? He just needs you to be addicted to your smartphone so that you're distracted from the things of God. 
so that you're distracted from things like meditating on Scripture or praying or paying attention to the actual real-life people that are literally right in front of you. He just needs you to be really, really busy so that you don't have any margin in your life and you miss the things of God and you miss out on deep, meaningful relationships with other people because you're always on the go, never stopping. He just needs you to be anxious about your money or your future or your health so that you start taking control of your own life instead of trusting God. And there's the wedge. He just needs you to think that you are the only one struggling with your addiction so he can isolate you and make you feel ashamed and alone. He just needs to get you to binge out on Netflix to escape the boredom of your life so that you can get caught up in a make-believe adventure instead of the real-life adventure that he has for you when you follow Jesus. He just gets you to treasure the things of this world more than you treasure the things of God. He gets you to place more importance on religious activity than in a relationship with Jesus, one that is marked by living and loving others the way that he did. Satan subtly works through all of these avenues. And sometimes the lion is not so subtle. Sometimes the lion roars to strike fear into our hearts. That's what's going on in Peter's day. And Satan wasn't just working through the systems and institutions of Rome to deceive Christians. He was also working to discredit and discourage them, to make them want to give up and give in. And there are Christians around the world today, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that know the roar of the lion. Believers who are being persecuted by their cultural systems just because of their faith. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in North Africa and in China and in North Korea even and beyond, they know the roar of the lion in ways that we have never experienced. No matter how Satan chooses to work, and he works in all of these ways and more, no matter how he chooses to work, his goal is always the same, to separate you from a relationship with God. His goal is to get Christians to deny Christ, either outrightly deny him or to deny him through apathy, to just become bored with him, to lose interest in him. He wants to drive a wedge any way he can between you and God. He wants to destroy the intimate relationship that God desires for us through Jesus, and he wants to render you useless in God's kingdom. Useless in this world and useless for the cause of Christ. So what do we do about this? What do we do about our enemy, the devil? Look at what Peter says in verse 9. He says, resist him. Resist him. Peter says to, to stand firm, to resist the devil. Don't run from him, but stand your Ground. It's interesting that the Bible always tells us to run from temptation, but when it talks about the devil, it tells us to resist him. In other words, if you're being tempted, don't be like, oh yeah, I got this, I can handle this, because that's the beginning of the slippery slope. No, it says flee from temptation, but resist the devil. How do we do that? Look at what Peter says. Resist him standing firm 
in the faith. That word firm means rock, solid. So if you want to resist the devil, be rock solid in your faith. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a super Christian that has everything all together. Peter doesn't tell us to stand firm in ourselves. He doesn't say stand firm in your faith. He says stand firm in the faith. And the nature of faith is to trust someone else, not in yourself. And so you are most rock solid in your faith when you are most dependent on him. Church, did you hear that? I know it's a little warm in here this morning. We're just a week off of the time change. Maybe we're a little bit sleepy after spring break. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You are most rock solid in your faith when you are most dependent on Jesus. Not not when you are strongest in your own strength, not when you are doing the most religious activity, but when you are most dependent on Jesus. The Bible teaches over and over that you are at your strongest when you are most aware of your weakness. The rock-solid Christian doesn't try to stand up to resist the devil in their own strength because we can't do it. The rock-solid Christian says, I'm with Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus is with me. (laughs) He's my strength. And so resisting the devil really just means resting in Jesus. Resisting the devil means resting in Jesus. Peter wants us to know that we have a ferocious enemy that is prowling around behind what is seen, looking for someone to devour. He wants nothing more than to drive a wedge between you and God. And our greatest weapon against our greatest enemy is to simply find rest in Jesus, to just simply let our hearts be at home and satisfied ultimately in him. Find rest in the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, as Peter later says in verse 10. Rest in Jesus. Yes, we have a great adversary, but we have an even greater advocate in Jesus, and he has already won the war. We just simply have to find rest in him to let our hearts feel at home in him, to where anything that Satan throws at us, any temptation, any threat, we know that Jesus is greater and our hearts have found rest in him. Like John said last week, greater is the lion in us than the the lion around us. Peter calls the devil a lion, but the truth is he is a lion on a leash. He is not all-powerful. He is not victorious. But Jesus is. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And when we find rest in him, when we find our ultimate satisfaction and joy and comfort and peace in him, when our hearts truly find rest in Jesus, that is when we are able to resist the devil and he will flee. So when it comes to fighting the spiritual battle that is happening all around us, our greatest weapon as believers is to simply rest in Jesus and stand firm in the grace of our God. To stand firm in the faith. To stand firm on what God has done for you, not what you have done 
for God. To stand firm in God's ability to save and satisfy you, not in your own ability. To stand firm in the work of Jesus, not in your own good deeds. Stand firm in God's amazing grace and find rest in Jesus, the same Jesus who will himself restore you when you are weak and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to the end. Let's pray. God, thank you for the strength that is ours through Christ. Thank you that we can rest in him. And the truth is, yes, we are in a battle that is raging all, all around us. And, and Satan is trying to steal our devotion from, from you. And it's not that he wants it for himself. He, he's just willing to settle for us being devoted to anything but you. God, my prayer is that we will stand firm in the faith and the grace of our Lord Jesus. And we will find rest in him. We, our hearts will be at home in him to where nothing, nothing draws us away from you. There's no temptation that can. There is no danger. There's no fear because we know that we are at home in you. We are at rest in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to resist the devil and help our faith to grow so that in those moments we will know the truth and that truth may set us free. We thank you so much for uh, the cross. We thank you for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that made all of this possible. Through that, our ultimate victory was won. And Lord, right now, we come to this time of communion where we have an opportunity to remember Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and the rest that is ours in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.